The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The idea that extraterrestrial life forms exist fires up controversy. Everyone wants evidence, photographic and otherwise, to ground the claiming cold, hard fact. There's a saying, for those who believe, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not, no explanation will suffice. Whether you are a believer or not, the next discussion will thrust you into the unknown universe of benevolent and malevolent aliens. Our guest has compiled an almanac as a preparation guide, a Bible of cosmic life, for the day when disclosure arrives, when global governments and religious factions tell the truth about the existence of extraterrestrials and admit that ETs have been with mankind throughout history. There are 82 extraterrestrial races that have interacted with all walks of life on our planet. Get ready to discover obscure, age-old, and new cases of personal contact, some ongoing and others random chance encounters. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Craig Campobasso is a casting director and award-winning filmmaker. He has been casting film and television for over three decades and was Emmy-nominated for casting David E. Kelly's Picket Fences. He recently cast Don't Come Back from the Moon, starring James Franco and Rashida Jones. The film Starbright and the television series The Adventures of Velvet Prozac. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book authored by the late Dr. Frank E. Stranges. It won Best Sci-Fi Film at the Burbank International Film Festival and the World Fest Houston International Film Festival. He is also the author of the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga book trilogy. His latest book, which will be the highlight of tonight's episode, is titled The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, The Ultimate Guide to Greys, Reptilians, Hybrids, and Nordics. And for the first time on Veritas, I would like to welcome Craig Campobasso. Hello, Craig, and welcome. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? So I bet you your audience is now wondering, What's a guy in the film business doing with a bunch of extraterrestrials? That's, that's actually my first question. <laughs> well, I, I will say I became fascinated with um, life elsewhere when I was 26. And I delved deep 
into uh, all the books that were available at the time, uh, lectures, UFO conferences. And over the years, I met and became friends with a lot of uh, MUFON directors and uh, the head of MUFON and um, also ufologists. And I started going... uh, on cases and and observing and that kind of thing. I've met with a lot of um, contactees, also with a lot of abductees, both uh, in, in the abduction scenario, good and bad experiences. And um, so, so I just have garnered for 35 years um, a wealth of information. And when people think of extraterrestrials, they pretty much go right to the common gray. Um, but it wasn't the case back in the uh, 50s and 60s. All of the contacts were human extraterrestrials. And they were coming and they were meeting with uh, 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 regular people uh, down here, and uh, they were uh, giving them information about, uh, especially about what we're doing to the planet, especially through atomics and and things of that nature. Um, and we'll get into more of that, I think, a little bit later on, because one of those beings was Valiant Thor, who uh, met with President Eisenhower and lived and worked at the Pentagon. But before you go there, Craig, if, if you don't yeah. mind interrupting, before you go there, I'm very interested to know, you had a situation, and I believe that sometimes memories pass through DNA, but you were in a quest to find your biological father. I want to get that part too, because that's an interesting background that we need to to share. Yes. Uh, when I was 12 years old, my mother told me that my father was my stepfather. They had married when I was one years old. My mother uh, had a, uh, enca- a brief encounter with my biological father, and then she found out that he was married with a kid, so she ended the relationship. And uh, anyway, she didn't know that much about him. She just knew his name, and... Um, so I, I often thought about him, but my dad was my dad, and I never thought of him as anything but my dad. So, so when the internet came about, I tried searching for him, and I would write a few letters to people who had his name, and, but it, uh, none of that panned out. And I really couldn't find him. And one day, a woman called me from Canada, and she said, I'm your fourth or fifth cousin, in genealogy, I'm a, gene, a real genealogist, and I'm looking for information on your mother's father's side. So I gave her the information, and I asked her if she could help me find my biological father. Uh, she said that she could. Um, about six months later, she um, sent me an email and said, I found him. Here's all the information. He passed away in 2006. Um, and this is where he's buried. Uh, so I immediately, the next morning, went down to the mortuary. I went to the front desk and asked if they had a name when his body was brought in, who called, and they actually did. And uh, they didn't have a contact number. I came immediately home, typed it into the Internet, and it was a gentleman 
been living right around the corner from me, different last names. So I wrote him a letter, um, put my picture in, said if he knew anybody in Fred's family to pass it along. Two days later, I get a phone call uh, from this man's son. The man was 74 at the time. Um, and he said, uh, my dad got your letter. And I said, oh, was your dad friends with Fred? And he said, no, he's actually his half-brother. They have the same mother. And I went, oh, so you're my cousin. And he goes, yeah, I guess I am. And so anyway, this was all connected through the genealogist, by the way, through DNA. So there was no question that it could be a question mark if I was or not. So I met them both for dinner. And it was a very wonderful, long three-hour dinner. And my uncle, an hour into the dinner, uh, uh, turns to me and he said, okay, so your father wanted to, um, he wanted to go into the air guard, but he wasn't old enough. My mom had to sign a piece of paper. So he was in the air guard before he was 18. When he was 18, he went right into the air force. And then as an afterthought, he said, oh, and by the way, he worked in that Project Blue Book. Well, my jaw literally hit the ground because that was the last thing on the face of the planet I thought I would ever hear. So they, uh, so my uncle continued to fill me in on, you know, his entire life and uh, his one, he has three sons, uh, two of them were into UFOs and they had tried to pry out of him what he knew, but they said he would, would never budge. And I said, well, he was really good at keeping secrets because he kept me from you guys. You didn't even know about me, right? So anyway, my uncle went and did his DNA and it connected uh, me and him right away um, because I kept saying that we have Spanish blood from Spain. And um, and he said, no, no, I, we don't, I don't have that in mind. And I said, no, it's from your mother. I said, I guarantee you it's from your mother. So that's why he actually went and did it. And, and then he called me and goes, well, I'll be darned. We do have Spanish blood from Spain. So long story short, here I am writing books now for MUFON. I'm writing the second book now. And, um, you know, the... The interesting fact is, is uh, MUFON is a U- U.S.-based nonprofit uh, comprised of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings, and Project Blue Book was the U.S. Air Force study on UFOs that started in '52, was decommissioned in '70, and investigated over 11,000 sightings. And his main study was determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. So, so the similarities did not end there when, when he left the Air Force after some time and he came back to Los Angeles. He ended up getting a job. Uh, he joined IATSE, the union, and he ended up becoming the head of construction at Warner Brothers and built sets for movies and TV for many, many years. And I'm thinking... Our DNA is like the same. 
we basically had similar career paths in this UFO world and in the film business, which I just find extremely fascinating. So it was very exciting to learn about who he was, not only from my uncle and cousins, uh, but from his best friend and from um, from a stepbrother and two stepsisters who he also raised, and, and uh, they loved and adored him. So... Uh, uh, our, I, you know, our our paths were just not meant to cross in this lifetime. But I've I've picked up a whole nother family, which uh, which are just fantastic people. So that's a pretty mind blowing story right there. So you put this all together, and I think of I have to give a, a, a honorable mention to our friend Clifferson, who just passed away a few days ago. And my very yes. first interview about the extraterrestrial races. And the catalogs was with him back again in 2008. So I just wanted to just say rest in peace and my thoughts and prayers are with this, the, the Stone family. But how did the extraterrestrial species almanac come into being? Well, uh, it was uh, two steps. My book agent called me and said, I've got a great idea for a book and you're the man to, to write it. And he said, it's called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. And I went, oh, that's good. I said, and I can write that book. And he knew that I could because, because of my involvement uh, in the UFO community for over 35 plus years. And also because of the writing of my book uh, series, The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga, which will be seven volumes in the end. There's four, there's four volumes now. Um, so he literally, I am not kidding you now. He sold this book within four days and I was writing it the following week. And I had to sit back and say, wow, this never happens like that. Book deals don't happen that fast. And, and I thought, the universe must want this out there in the universe. Maybe there's going to be an event. Maybe there's going to be some form of disclosure. Maybe there's going to be more and more sightings and people are going to want a reference guide or something of that nature. So, so what I did was, is when I started compiling the extraterrestrials is I went to all of my favorite books that were from contactees. Um, some were from the Wendell Stevens collection. Uh, he did over 60-some books with contactees from around the world with human and other uh, diff different-looking extraterrestrial races. And so I got permission to uh, use those books. Um, and a lot of people don't even know about those books because they're, they're not in print anymore, but they can get them in a PDF format uh, at ufophotoarchives.com. Uh, it's like a plethora of information there. So, and then uh, there was another contactee case that I was particularly fond of, um, uh, Maurizio Cavallo, who had written a book called Beyond the Heavens, oh, and it was our his Italian interaction. Uh, what's that? Our Italian friend, 
I just yes. I've known him for years, and I was just in Rome, and he was in a in a record player store. Great guy. Oh my God! Does he speak English or uh, Martin, only Italian? Uh, no, he speaks. He speaks both. Oh, he does. Okay. Because I interact with him online, but I always translate it into Italian. And with having an Italian last name, he always replies back in Italian. <laughs> so then I have to Google translate that. So um, I just love his story. And he he allowed uh, me to reprint uh, uh, Sewell's picture, a male clarion, and Nelfa, uh, a female clarion. And she's... Um, she deals with astrobiology and chronoastronomy. It's uh, sort of like the measurements between the dimensions and things of that sort. So, By the way, my apologies. Of- my apologies. It's Mauricio Bayata, the one I know, but I also know ah, of Mauricio Cavallo. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm Mauricio looking at a picture Cavallo. here with both Mauricios with Travis Walton. That's why I get confused. Sorry. Yes, yes. Mauricio Bayata speaks uh, English for yes, sure. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. So, so anyway, that was just one of the most fascinating books. And, and these clarions are living here on the planet as well. There's, uh, and they say there's many others that are living here. They've come to lend their fully conscious energy to the planet because when they're here, it also helps raise up the vibration. And uh, and then another one of my favorite contactee cases is Ricardo Gonzalez, who meets with the Alpha Centurions, and um, uh, and there was uh, several years ago he took a giant group out to Mount Shasta, and they were in a big field, and Amaral, um, uh, who is one of these uh, very tall. Um, Alpha Centaurians, um, was going to greet some of them. So these people, he, he was told which ones to bring into the forest. And, and these select people actually got to meet him. And they appear through a Zendra. So it's sort of like this big half, half circle that is an interdimensional thing that they can project their image into and converse with you, right? So so that was another one of my um, favorite races as well. And their um, artist renderings uh, that he had done of the male and female uh, from Alpha Centauri. Um, uh, we always, they were able to reprint their likenesses also uh, in the book with, with his permission and the artist's permission. So, so yeah, so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of research. I also talked to some people that, uh, I don't know, have you ever had, um, uh, extraterrestrial hybrids on your show? I have. Oh, wonderful. Allegedly. I always say allegedly because as you know, unless I, right. I can do a DNA test and even still, if we don't have a point of reference to say, oh, by the way, yes, we know that you come from Alpha Centauri or from, from, <laughs> you know, Aldebaran or somewhere we can't tell right. for sure, right? That's right. That's right. So I did speak to um, uh, a couple uh, people who were hybrids about their races, but they were very, 
how shall we say, um, uh, very schooled in it. And uh, I even uh, did a session with one woman uh, who uh, is uh, Octarian hybrid. And I'm always open. I'm, I always say I will go for the experience and, and see how it is. And as she was working on me, um, uh, she said that, that the soul goes up into the craft. And at a certain point, my eyes just closed. And I felt like ripples going rip, 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 and then boom, and I was somewhere else. And then I got extremely lightheaded, and I was there for maybe uh, several minutes' time. And then when I opened my eyes, everything was flashing gold. Everything was gold. She was gold. Everything was gold. All the dimensional layers were gold going boom, 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 like that. And I thought, wow, she's uh, she's amazing, because I, I went... Uh, into a nirvanic sort of state right after that session, which was amazing. So, so again, it, just like you said, uh, we can't prove it, but I always say if the experience is good for you and you feel good about it, then that's what it is because all we're doing is sharing information if it rings true for some people it might not ring true for others um you just take what works for you and and put that into your soul library and and uh you know and move on that's exactly so, my philosophy craig yeah. i always say this is so like a buffet before COVID, mm -hmm. when you used to go to the restaurant and go to a buffet, you take what you want and you, you sample all of it. And what you don't like, leave it behind. But just because some people may not agree doesn't mean that you and I are not going to be interviewing all these wonderful people that have great stories to share. And in addition, yes. a lot of the information resonates. And if it's going to help us all live a better life and future generations, then <laughs> the better. Absolutely. And here's the good news. Uh, people always are asking me, um, there's so much disinformation and there's so much out there. I, my head is confused. It's spinning. I don't know what to believe. Is this true? Is that true? All the COVID contra uh, controversies, all the thing. And I just said, look, you just have to stay focused and centered every day. Do a meditation keep yourself centered. And the thing is, is all of those things, just let them bleed away. What you are supposed to know and do will automatically come to you because you are attracting like, right? And when you connect in into source through meditating and, and when the planet changes over and when it becomes fully conscious, we again will have full access to all the records in the library of Akasha. We will, we will know all the truths and we will know all the lies and we will know who did them and why they did them. But now we will look at them from a whole different perspective and, and know that we have all learned from it in some 
way, shape, or form. From all these races, obviously you catalog them in alphabetical order. There is one, because a lot of people say to me, Mel, they're all benevolent. Some others say they're all malevolent. I'm in the middle. Right. Just like we have good people and bad people, I'm sure in the universe right. we may have all of that. But there's one race that I think they're still around, and perhaps those traits that they brought here is what keeps this, can we say, this ascension process slowing down. Would you agree yes. that the Anunnaki yes. are the ones? Well, the Anunnaki and uh, and what we don't know is some people, some UFO theorists say that the Anunnaki were these gods and they were reptile influenced. Some say that they were the reptiles or they are the reptiles or or they um, uh, were came here as we know we we've heard the the whole Anunnaki uh, thing of how they created us to become a slave race and things of that nature but um, sorry I just had to, somebody was calling in and I just had to click it off. Um, but there's, there's so many giant wild theories of, um, of everything that has to do with all the different reptilians and, and the, and the races. But, but when you start getting into and understanding how they dumb a society down through uh, the giant corporations, the people with all the money, they're the ones that rule the planet, and, and they're in cahoots with these, uh, with these negative malevolent races because they can give them the power and the technology that they want and that they need in exchange. And then some of them become reptile influence. Some of them are, some say they take them over. Uh, things like that. Uh, we do know that people can easily get taken over if they are into drugs and alcohol because that, that opens up holes in the aura and negative energies and entities can get in there and several of them can get in there as well. So, so in the big scheme of things, I say, yes, it's good to know that information But you're here, and what you can be doing is to be working on yourself spiritually so that your spiritual sustenance grows, and you elevate. Because once we all elevate, all of those energies can no longer sustain themselves on the planet because the vibration's too high. So that's why they're constantly trying to dumb it down. And those are part of the conspiracy theories going around about COVID or... Uh, about ascension and, and um, how these beings were able to know how to lock the chakras and uh, or to remove uh, the five ascension chakras and things of that nature. So um, we're this is this is a planet to the rest of the universe that is one of the most interesting planets out there. 
because of its diversity and because of its duality. Uh, a lot of the races are fully conscious there. Of course, there's, uh, there, there's a fraction of them that aren't. And even in the fully conscious races, there are some that turn as well. And we don't, uh, it's just that they start losing, uh, that their ego might start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is what sort of sets them uh, on that path to sort of self-destruct as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, as you know, because you've been interviewing people for so long and I've met so many people and I've heard so many stories, it's, you couldn't even thread it all together to really understand what's going on, but you kind of feel it because you become, as you raise your spiritual sustenance, you become very empathic and you understand some of the truths of it. But I always say then again, don't go into the fear base. Stay into your spiritual self and keep focusing on that. When it comes to this extraterrestrial race, and we'll talk about the other ones. I'm, I don't mean to give priority to this one. It just struck my a nerve with me because this is what we hear. I remember when I interviewed Zachariah Sitchin, we discussed this in detail. And have you seen the video and the images of allegedly a... Anunnaki giant with the beard in Iran that is allegedly in a stasis mode. Have you seen that? No, but I would love to see that. I will send you, not only will I send you that, but now let's skip to wow. others. Let's skip to others. The Not the Nordics. Which ones are the ones that live underground? They have their, their capital city under Mount Shasta. Yes. Which one are yes. these? So the Agarthans are the entire network of, I think, 120 cities. Um, and then the capital is called Telos, which is a mile below Mount Shasta. So the ancient um, Lemurians are supposedly are what under uh, is under Mount Shasta, and then and and then the rest of the network is also Lemurians, Atlanteans, and of course people who want to come here and live and intermingle uh, with their society and uh, as well, and um, so there's a lot of. Um, uh, there's a story, and it's uh, interesting. A friend of uh, a dear friend of mine, who goes all the way back into the George Van Tassel days, right, and has had this life like you wouldn't believe, knowing all of these people. I I get a lot of my information from her, but she was friends with a woman who actually was. Um, a part of Telos, and she had come up, and um, uh, and she met uh, her soulmate, and she got married. So that meant that she could no longer go back to Telos. She had to be remain a surface dweller. Now she gave an interview. Her name is Sharula 
Ducks, D-U-X. She gave an interview to a woman, and I think there's a couple of interviews online if people are interested in reading about that, because it's very fascinating. Um, the information that, uh, that I gleaned from the societies there was also done through Diane Robbins, who wrote a book on Telos and also wrote a book on Agartha. She lives right there in Mount Shasta as well. So, uh, so there was a lot of information there. Um, I, I once really, uh, really in my early days, really wanted to see what Agartha looked like. And I know that every night before you go to bed, if you put out your intention, eventually it will come to you and you'll be allowed to see something or a part of it. And it took some time, but I was able to astral travel there and I saw an underground lake with, uh, it was just like a beautiful um, setting. There, there were no people, there was no cities, there was no, nothing of that nature. So maybe that's why they allowed me to see that. But the water was this powder blue and it looked illuminated. It was so beautiful. Uh, but in lots of people always say, well, how can you live on the inner earth? And how can you live on the inside of other planets? And how do you do that? Is these very advanced extraterrestrial races, now mind you, they have mentors. Their mentors are created beings. They are angelics. They are, they are assigned to different parts of the universe, and they're there to assist and to help these worlds in times of need and in times of technology leaps and jumps. So their technology, so let's say if, they, if, if, uh, let's say if the Pleiadians wanted to come and set up a two-week base somewhere on Earth. They can come in. They can take what would look like a sheet of paper, which is an energy slice, make it as big and as wide as they want. They can push the ground up and down to whatever uh, size that they needed. They could immediately move their things in. They have the technology for what we call synchrotron skies. So it looks as if you're looking up that it is infinity and it would sync with the outdoor sun and moon. Um, or they could illuminate it with crystals or uh, they have stuff that they can put on rocks and there are some rocks that glow, as a matter of fact. Somebody uh, who went deep into the Vatican actually saw giant boulders that glowed like go like gold, right? So in I think in uh, Agartha, I think they use a crystal uh, for light as well. Um, but there's all different types of things that they can do. Also, Creative beings also have the God code or the source code or whatever, so they can create anything at will, including 
every kind of beautiful setting you would like to know or, or be a part of, right? Rivers, lakes, an ocean of this, of that. They can do lots of those things. Uh, and I know it sounds far-fetched to a lot of people, but, uh, but it's not. And, uh, and we know that we've had some master teachers on this planet that could create anything with thought. So a lot of these um, higher races like created beings and things of that nature can create at will. Isn't that amazing? Let me make a comment here. I usually don't talk about this story because I have really haven't been authorized to release a lot of this, but the time is getting short and the people that... And those who are listening to, to us know what I'm talking about, but you, you don't. This has to do with something that I thought it was too far-fetched for me to even grasp. But it's about time travel. It's about these beings, the ones you mentioned, that live yeah. North Pole, South Pole, and also in the uh, planetoid series. C-E-R-E-S, I believe. Anyway, just to cut a long story short... This individual that has been passing information for years until a few years ago when they got to him, and now he's telling me, if you even decide, I will deny everything you're saying because my family has been threatened in multiple ways. But anyway, in the year 2014, I'm sorry, 11, I believe it was, he moved from Switzerland to uh, Arizona. And uh, he came home from work and heard laughter in the back in the, in the backyard of his house. There was one individual, the time traveler I'm referring to for years here that I haven't talked to too much about, but also there was a female there, a female who he said was over seven and a half feet tall, completely gray or white hair, beautiful, wearing this almost like, I don't know how to describe it, but um, when he saw her, I mean, in the backyard, how did they get in, right? But he wanted to go right. inside, and she said, by the way, you cannot take any pictures. But he stood up to go to the bathroom, and with his 2010 cell phone, not too clear, he kind of uh, took a picture of her back, which I have, and I was going to send it to you before the show started, but I decided to do it after. And you'll see her hair, yeah. and you'll see the back of her. Anyway, they live apparently underground. The question is, why haven't they interacted with us here? Why do they want to be left in peace? And is there a correlation between these beings and the ones that Admiral Byrd, who some people say he was chasing Nazis, the Admiral Byrd got their butts kicked two weeks after their expedition, Operation High Jump. They were supposed to be there for two months, and they had to return two weeks later. And even in Chile, their Mercurio newspaper shows that we had a lot of dead and wounded from that expedition. What do you say about all that? Wow. That, I mean, there, I, for some reason, I have attracted in the whole Admiral Byrd family throughout my life. I, I actually went to Richard E. Byrd Junior High School. Oh, wow. And then, uh, when I met Dr. Frank Strange's Harley Bird, who worked for Project Blue Book, is Admiral Bird's nephew. And through the Bird family, I received the, a letter that Admiral Bird wrote to a rear admiral in 1956 to get his nephew Harley, who was recently married with a with a boy, a, I think a baby, I think it was a boy, 
and into the DOD. And Harley started working there in early 57 at the DOD under intelligence um, and, and in Project Blue Book. And so he released the, a little bit of the case file uh, and wrote the foreword to Stranger at the Pentagon. So um, then they gave me his honorable discharge papers, which also showed that he did work at the DOD during those dates and also uh, under special operations, special intelligence, things of that nature. Um, and then another guy I met is also sort of like a cousin or something of the birds and he's in a band and they wanted to do a song about Valiant Thor. So they called me and they did a rock and roll song, which turned out really, really good. I think it's on iTunes. I forget what it's called, but so there is a lot about the Admiral bird and this one of the stories that I heard was that he was flying over um, over one of the poles? I can't remember which one. And that there is that at both poles there are giant openings. Right. Um, and I've been shown pictures of these openings from uh, from outer space. Right. Um, so something happened to his plane, and it was pulled in. And there he met with this this human society that was very advanced and they fixed his plane and they had whatever interaction and then they sent him back out, right? And, and I know they sent him with a message, but I can't remember what that message was. Um, so... I know that there's a lot of secrecy and things about what actually happened there. Um, and I haven't, I, I do have a book about it, uh, but I haven't read it in quite a long time. So I, I don't want to uh, sort of speak out of turn, but it is, it is alleged that he did go and he did meet with, with this advanced race and, uh, um, so, uh, your guess is as good as mine, but like I said, uh, I'm open to, to, uh, to hear these stories. A lot of this comes from the and bird diaries. Yeah. Right. right. And, and also right. a lot of information that's not public is that apparently he was recommended to go into a health, I mean, a mental institution at the end, and he shortly passed away after that. And that reminds me of the story of the first Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal. Forrestal, yes. You, you probably know the story there, how he allegedly jumped out of a window. But I heard from somebody, apparently his brother came after he heard of the news, and one of the orderlies at the place as he's getting up the stairs said, by the way, he did not jump out of that window. Did you hear that too? Well, I will tell you, I just watched um, uh, Jennifer Stein, who did the wonderful documentary on Travis Walton that has won like 50, 60 awards. She did a documentary on Forrestal. 
and it is really, really good. And I just watched it. Oh, wow. So he did go into um, the the mental or the hospital, and he was he ended up being fine. Uh, and if I, memory serves, he was out, and then he went back in. But he was fine. He was looking forward to going home and getting back to his normal life. And then all of a sudden, he supposedly had jumped out a window. Right. So, um, again, he could he could have been a loose cannon that might have talked. Because a lot of these people early on really felt the people should know about extraterrestrials and should know about these types of things. Um, it's and, and because we've heard the controversies over the whole JFK thing, wanting to come out and talk, and the, the reason that he was killed is for one of the, was to keep him silent. That's one of the scenarios that's out there. But uh, but again, but but he also know. took uh, he took Kennedy under his wing, was his protege. Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know that. There you go. And that's why Kennedy wanted to go. disclose. Right. Right. Well, it was. Um, I will tell you that, that uh, there was. Um, uh, if Valiant Thor had was there from at the Pentagon from fifty seven to sixty March sixteenth, then he left for a year when they turned his proposal down and came back in sixty one and he was here. So I am sure somewhere along the line he would have met with Kennedy, um, but Doctor Frank also told me a story. That um, that when he was living in Panorama City in an apartment, that he got a phone call from Bobby Kennedy, and he said, "Are you going to be there tomorrow? I must talk to you." And that he flew out with the Secret Service men, and he wanted to know if Valiant Thor was real because he had heard about him, and he uh, uh, he came out. And Dr. Frank said, yes, he is. And he said, well, I want to talk to him. And Dr. Frank said, well, you have to write him a letter. And um, so they sat down at his typewriter, and he wrote him a letter, and he sealed the envelope and gave it to Dr. Frank. And Dr. Frank said he gave it to Valiant Thor. And then um, in 68, whatever was uh, Bobby's death date, that was 68. the day that they invited Dr. Frank for the first time on board Victor One, uh, Valiant Thor's flagship, which holds up to 200 people. It's a uh, 300 feet in diameter craft. So they, um, uh, Valiant took him into his office, and they have like a sort of, it's like a Five, 6D perception television, which is amazing to see. And he said, we are watching this in real time. One of his other vice commanders was in the room. Uh, her name is Teal. And they watched Bobby get shot. 
And he said, this is happening in real time. And uh, uh, tears were streaming down Valiant's face and Teal's face. And he looked at Dr. Frank and he said, he didn't listen to me. And then that's when Dr. Frank found out that he wanted to know if he should run for president this term. And Valiant told him, no, you should wait another four years and then run. So, um, so again, that's another story that's, uh, that's in Stranger at the Pentagon as well. Um, another fascinating thread to, um, to what could have happened way back when. Uh, do you know who Major George Filer is? I get his newsletters on a weekly basis. There you go. He is awesome. He's an incredible a director guy. back in New Jersey, and he was at the Pentagon uh, back in the days of Valiant Thor. And he said he he had told me he had heard about him living there. And I talked to George maybe three weeks ago, and he was reiterating. And he said, "Yeah, I was walking down the hall with uh, uh, with somebody, and they said through that door and down is where the alien lives." And so he had heard all of these stories. But another interesting story George told is he said he was once on an airplane, and sitting right next to him was Michael Rennie, who played Klaatu in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Now, before Valiant Thor came, there were other extraterrestrials that came to foretell of his coming and to be ready. Right. Um, he said that Michael Rennie said that our government paid for the financing of that movie because they wanted to gauge the public's reaction to a male human extraterrestrial coming to Earth. Another interesting factoid, right? That's interesting. Was that the very yeah. first movie that portrayed an alleged extraterrestrial as a humanoid, indistinguishable from a human being? I, I'm not sure if it was the first one, but it was the first one that did well. Because back then, once flying saucers and things from, uh, from the time of Kenneth Arnold, you know, once he spotted them up right. in Washington, all the discs... Then that's when the flying saucer craze and all the movies started coming out uh, at that time. There was even another one of a man from Venus um, that was made a, a low-budget movie, I believe, that also um, Patricia, uh, um, who, who starred in, I uh, can't think of her last name, um, who starred in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, she also, I believe, was in that movie. So uh, it was just fascinating the way that that was set up. And then he came, and then they sort of, it became the government cover-up of all cover-ups. Um, his, his whole story, so. I want to present something to you because I like to talk with people like you. You've been at this for many, many de years, decades. Orson Welles, 1938, War of the Worlds. Do you think that was done on purpose to also gauge the reaction 
a population would have in the event this occurred in reality. And this was just one city. I believe it was New York. People committed suicide. People you know, left in their cars. It was just pandemonium. And this is probably one of the, some people say, one of the reasons why this closure might not happen because of domestic tranquility, which should be the president's priority. But if it's done right, if it's done not in the way it was done, I mean, aliens attacking and, and killing people. But then right. you have uh, Project Bluebeam that's been around since the 40s or 50s. It was going to be used in the coast of Cuba, uh, but it, it wasn't. Imagine the technology that we might have now where they may have holograms. I mean, I don't mean to bring an 911 here, but what if what if they used holograms as planes? But I'm not going to touch that in a moment. Um, when it comes to holograms and military vessels or, or aircraft that could hide behind the hologram, shoot down a city, a major city, or multiple cities around the world, and then just say, you see, we need to unite the world's military in order to combat this threat from outer space. The words from Ronald Reagan, not in those words, but in the United Nations. Do you think this is a plausible scenario? And this is why we're seeing so many movies lately and taking this subject of E.T. and the extraterrestrial presses in the mainstream media serious. I have to say I had never heard that before about War of the Worlds. But, again, it's entirely possible just to sort of gauge and if it was really just focused in new york city which is a big city just to gauge what it is here's here's the truth once disclosure happens and once this cosmic integration begins there's going to be people that are going to freak out they're just going to freak out so there's going to have to be some kind of um, intervention in play for people who are uh, whose mental faculties are not going to be able to handle it. Now, I've been in the film business my, literally my whole life since I was 15. From the time I was casting and and uh, and into this. I have asked everybody I come in contact with, I said, if a benevolent race came down here and said, would you like a tour of the, of the galaxy, would you go? And about 75 to 80% said yes, and the rest were in total fear of that unknown and said, nope, I never want to know about it. I don't want to even think about that kind of thing. So, so there will be a generation of people that will flip out and sort of die out. And then as new generations come up and they're brought up in it, it's a natural occurrence so, um, so that they, they wouldn't. Uh, freak out, but we don't really know. I mean, how how would they do that? How would they do this incredible cosmic integration and and a form of disclosure? We know that our government is doing it slowly by releasing little things into the public, and they just released what three million pages of 
uh, more data, UFO-related data. Um, a plethora of information is on the Black Vault uh, with, you know, John Greenwald's website. Right. And um, uh, even a lot of the Project Blue Book files, some of those are on there as well. Uh, Rob Mercer put some up um, that had a lot to do with Socorro and uh, some of the other uh, uh, uh interactions with extraterrestrials. So um, so I think it's going to be a slow integration, and I think a lot of these things are going to have to be done through film and through television, and it's going to have to sort of come through in, in that way so that people get used to it. I mean, Star Trek has gotten us used to it in, in a way... And um, uh, Star Wars to an extent, but now the real reality of it, uh, how is that going to work? And a lot of people always ask me, how? And I don't know. I mean, I've, I've thought about it and I thought, well, would, could, if, could they put a harmonic wave on the planet where everyone would stay calm? Could they do that? I'm sure they could. Um, or does it come in little increments? You've interviewed a lot of people. What what have other people said, Mel? It's a plethora of, of differences. It's a kaleidoscope. Everybody has a different opinion. This is why I'm always asking the same question, because it's too, too vast of a difference. Everybody says, you know, some people say, well... You know, the government knows about this, and it, they cannot hide this forever. Well, I think they would. Right. If there are yes. financial interests out there that could be jeopardized, the revenue streams of, say, the energy industry. You know, all of a sudden, you get right. a, a valiant Thor-like or somebody else coming and saying, oh, we have conquered energy, we have free energy. What would that, would that do to the energy industry. And how old are you, Mr. Thor? Just you for, just to use the same name. Well, I'm 700 right. years old, but you look 35. How do you do that? We reversed and we uh, were able to to genetically modify our DNA so that we don't age that much. And you know, we we don't have any kind of scarcity. We have resources for everybody. I mean, what would that do to every single industry? Big pharma, energy, you name it, uh, Craig. It would be gone because there would be no use for it. And then everyone gets to go into becoming and learning about their happy self. And what do they really want to do with their life? Because they can now do it. Exactly. That's the most wonderful part. I remember Dr. Frank telling these stories about um, uh, Valiant Thor telling him about things that were in lost scriptures and uh, Dead Sea Scrolls that they never released about how God or source, because they always referred to uh, everything as God, that it, uh, not as a being, but as an energy, that, um, that our natural state is to be happy, and that's why all of the fully conscious races are set up that way. Now, it doesn't, it, the, the difference is, is we're down here struggling in duality. We're doing, we're making a lot of wrong choices. 
and beating ourselves up for them. There's a lot of crazy people in the world. There's people who harm people, who murder people, who are still doing that. There's wars. There's just all of these things that are constantly going on. And up there, there we're using our egos down here when all of these things occur. But up there, they use their hearts to rule their mind. So doesn't mean the emotions are washed away. They still feel and have emotions. They just know how to deal with things. They know how to deal with them on every level of, of a unconditional love that's out there. But, even, but they still can be hurt. They can still have the same feelings that we experience and that kind of thing. So it's, um, it's amazing, but I always put myself in there because, because I've been in the film business and I, I've been an acting teacher for a long, long time as well, is I always say, I want to put myself where they are, these fully conscious beings, and what would that be like if I was monitoring the Earth? And they through their extreme biological supercomputers, can keep track of every living, breathing thing on the planet as it dies, as it's dying, or as it's being birthed, or all of the, they keep track on really uh, evil, vengeful people that can harm the earth and can do that. They keep tabs on them. They, uh, that kind of thing. But imagine having to be witness to all of the atrocities that are done on Earth on a daily basis. What would that do to a feeling body? How would you survive, right? So really, on their craft and inside the inside of planets and things like that, as it's been explained to me, is that they have resonation fields. These resonation fields keep them looking young because it is constantly rejuvenating the cells in their body. And if they go out and about onto the outside of a planet, they have that built into their spacesuits as well. And these resonation fields, when they're seeing all these images, also helps to keep them in a more calm state, but it still doesn't remove the tears or all of that that they really are feeling when having to witness these things. So um, it's just fascinating. You know, that's what my autobiography of an extraterrestrial books explores. It explores all of that and and it also uh, goes into the whole Melchizedek Starseed program, which is raising consciousness on Earth and and things of that nature. So um, it's there's just so much. I mean, the more we know, the less we know, and we just keep going and going and going, and and we just keep elevating as much as we can. Melchizedek is throughout your book, and apparently some of the extraterrestrial races look up to their to the teachings of Melchizedek, right? 
Yes, yes, they do. So um, actually in Telos, Adama is a Melchizedek priest who is the mentor of the beings in Telos as well. Um, and also, um, uh, I did put the Melchizedeks, I believe, in the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. It's a it's in the Mira system. It is 490 planets from one end of a galaxy to another. And, it, and this is the universe's college. It's a school. So they call it the University at Melchizedek. So there are lots of Melchizedek masters, priests, priestesses as well. And they are highly intelligent um, master teachers as well. Some of them are created and some of them are ascended. So uh, created means they were created from, uh, the, uh, like a created being uh, could be created from source in an instant with a purpose, or it could, this being could be birthed as an infant out of a womb of light in, in a... Um, in a celestial event, as they call it in the universe, and then is given to celestial parents to raise. So, uh, and then that person grows up with a sense of a purpose and then where they're going to go out and, and what, what their job in the universe is going to be. So, so there's... there's um, uh, so Melchizedek, again... There are these university planets, uh, Tehran, who is a seven foot seven Pleiadian, that the autobiography of an extraterrestrial books are based on. It's his story. The, the most interesting part about this is he actually was born dualistic up there in the fully conscious worlds about every 200,000 births there is a birth where the being is born dualistic. And this is to keep the, the fully conscious beings in check of what it is to be dualistic and for the dualistic being to have all of these teachers around them. So a lot of these dualistic kids grow up together and go to a certain school, and this is what Tehran's path was. And at a certain point, he was then made... Um, a teacher at Melchizedek to teach um, uh, all these different beings from all over the universe, other universes, other super universes who come to lend their love, their soul, to go and incarnate into these younger worlds such as Earth. And then when they're here, they're looked after and their energy gets quickened. And they start to spiritually advance really, really fast. And so, and through their children and them raising them, they become advanced. And a starseed will come through them, and then another starseed will come through them. So, right now, the children, and some of them are teens, the ones that I have been meeting, some of them are speaking five-star languages already, not taught by their parents. They just know them. They're drawing star maps that are accurate. Um, some are building grids. Some are building 
machines that are going to heal and help the planet. Um, all of these sort of different uh, factors. So, so that's what Tehran does. He teaches these star seeds what their mission will be, what race they will go into and become, and who their family members will be, and uh, and what they need to do to prepare to go into this lifetime and go into a dualistic body and not being able to remember their home until they have that awakening moment. So many, many star seeds have a, a big spiritual awakening at some point in their life. Some have them when they're in their teens, some have them in their 20s, some have them later on in life. Uh, but Tehran also teaches uh, mighty messengers who have, um, so mighty messengers have already gone through the entire program let's say, if it was on Earth. So they have come in, and they have been every, every race, every nationality, man, woman, gay, straight, bi, asexual, whatever. They have done it all in their whole conglomeration of lifetimes of raising consciousness. And then once they have that, then they are taught how to become mighty messengers and they come in and incarnate with a global mission to become a teacher of this kind of information to the world. Right? So, uh, so it's fascinating uh, Tehran's journey and, and learning all about how the universe is set up and and that kind of thing. I actually put under Pleiadians in the book here. Um, that is Tehran's, uh, that is what Tehran looks like. And uh, that's his wife, Kyalina, uh, and their baby boy, whose name is Tawan, T-H-Y-O-N-E. So uh, if people are interested there, so... Um, yeah, it's such a beautiful picture. And in color, it's really spectacular. This is incredible information. We have to take a one and only break. When we come back, I want to ask you something I've been asked by many people, and I want to ask the same, the same question. When the time comes, will they interf interfere or intervene? Because we've all heard of the, the same as Star Trek the non-interference policy that they have. But if they see people like you and I and many of our colleagues and guests and our audience, we are ready. We know there's, we can't be the only, the only human beings in this world and the only beings actually or, or species in this world. But there's obviously a boot above our heads that says, no, you will not. And that just brings me back to the words of Uh, Werner von Braun given to Dr. Carl Rosen. The first card is the communists. Second card is the terrorists. Then a celestial object. And lastly, the last card, the last card, the last card, repeated three times, will be the extraterrestrial invasion. And when that happens, don't believe it. So, uh -huh. which one do you believe? I'll get your answer on the other side. Why haven't they, they inter intervened 
If it's only a group, a small group of people that are keeping this planet or plane in a cage. But I'll get your answer on the other side. How can people buy the new book, Craig, and learn more about your work and your other books? Um, they can go to autobiography of unanet.com. On the homepage, uh, they can buy all four books if they want at once um, in the book series. And then if they click um, other books in the tab up above, that's where they can buy uh, the ET species almanac. And of course, I personalize and sign them all uh, before they go out. Excellent. And and StrangerAtThePentagon.com. They can watch the short film there. And all of Dr. Frank's out-of-print books are there. Posters and all things Valiant Thor is there as well. Great. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. My special guest today is Craig Campobasso. A lot more on this fascinating topic. I want to dig deeper into the multiple races. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store. For Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.